Welcome to the Power Hour. I'm Adrienne Herbert, wellness coach, international speaker and author. Each week I speak to a variety of guests from business founders to Olympic athletes, leading coaches, change makers and innovators to find out their daily habits, their rules to live by and what motivates them to get up out of bed each day. Personally, I am on a mission to encourage, motivate and inspire. So I hope that the Power Hour will help you to achieve your personal and professional goals. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the Power Hour podcast. Today, I am joined by David J.P. Phillips, author of High on Life, How to Naturally Harness the Power of Six Key Hormones and Revolutionize Yourself. Welcome, David, to the podcast. Thank you. I am so excited. Thank you for having me here. Well, the book is absolutely fascinating. I I have a hard copy of the book, but I've also been listening to the book on Audible. And there's so much that we're going to talk about today. I'm really (laughs) excited for this conversation. It is honestly, it's fascinating. And I think that whoever you are, whatever you're doing, just get a pen and paper, get ready to take notes. Um, So first up, you talk a lot, and not just in the book, but in the work that you've done for years about self-leadership. Yeah. So before we dive into, you know, the the different... um, the different hormones and all of the rest of it. Can you talk to us about self-leadership and what it is and why it's so important? Well, at the base of it, it's uh, it's just switching the words around. It's leading yourself, right? So in my perspective, from a biochemical perspective, um, I write about testosterone, for instance, and it's shown that both men and women who increase their testosterone before an interview has a higher chance of getting the job. So that's leading yourself. Mm. You choose to increase your testosterone temporarily before the interview, and by so you've got a better chance of getting a job or even uh, being better at negotiations. So, yeah, that's leading yourself. And self-leadership, this is something that, of course, people can learn, right? So you don't learn that at school. You don't, you know, you learn to follow rules. You might learn to problem solve. You might learn, if you're lucky, to, you know, figure out decision-making. But you don't really, I think often you're told to follow someone else's rules or follow Mm -hmm. and fall in line so Mm -hmm. yeah when i suppose at what point in life do we start to recognize actually that we are leading ourselves and that we need to practice and maybe improve our own self-leadership well one thing is for certain we should learn it way earlier like life would be it's night and day you know the 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 day i started applying self-leadership to my life is the day in a way that I started living, that I started being accountable for myself, Mm. uh, that I experienced life. It was almost like I was a robot before that. It was weird. It didn't have an open over day, you know, it took a year or two to get there, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think many people probably can relate to that. Okay, so I did say the book is fascinating and you talk about six key neurochemicals. So you talk about dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, endorphin, cortisol and testosterone Mm -hmm. but for the sake of today because we only have 
you know the power hour is yeah. one one episode i really wanted to go <laughs> deep on the on the i suppose selfishly i was like which ones do i really want to explore today so i have chosen today we're going to talk about dopamine yeah oxytocin and cortisol okay so mm-hmm. for the listeners i trust me if you you're going to love this but if you want to hear more about the others as well then you're going to have to grab a copy of the book or dive into the audiobook so let's start off with dopamine yes. so i guess in the shortest version what is dopamine how is it created in the body what is it for oh, it's multiple functions but from this perspective of self-leadership it comes down to the very very short summary of of growth uh, so imagine let's rewind 30,000 years ago uh, the, the very purpose of dopamine was then to get a person to wake up with the help of cortisol as well but to go out and hunt uh, to forage, to build a better bed, a more comfy bed for the next night, a better hut. That was the entire purpose of dopamine, to move you to um, have a better day, reproduce, and so on and so forth. Today, that system is hijacked, and it's, it doesn't have the same purpose anymore, because a lot of people today have that roof, they have that food, they have that job, and maybe they have uh, Tinder so they can go on dates and stuff like that. Uh, so we need dopamine from somewhere else. Uh, yeah, and that that is kind of the the issue with dopamine, but it's yeah. fantastic, you know. I think the clearest way you can portray dopamine is Boxing Day, and you're 10 years old, <laughs> and you're running down the stairs to the Christmas tree. That look in the eye, that's dopamine. Yeah, so this idea of uh, motivating you to take action, yeah. motivation and reward. I yeah. hear that word a lot when we talk about dopamine, so reward systems and kind of rewarding yourself with, with, with a treat or with something, you know, mm-hmm. kind of the carrot and the stick situation. So, but this is something that actually in your book was kind of, I guess, new to me was the idea that actually rewarding yourself for something isn't always the best way to achieve the feeling that we want so can you talk to us about why so for example if i said okay i really don't want to do this task um but i'm going to do it for 45 minutes and then at the end the reward i'm going to reward myself with something else mm-hmm. so throughout that entire 45 minutes let's say i've got a writing deadline to do and at the end of that 45 minutes my reward is going to be uh, a coffee and a croissant or going out for a walk for example why is it not necessarily a good thing that i'm delaying that and saying right okay 45 minutes I've just got to get through this task I've just got to get through this get through this get through this and then give myself a reward why is that not always because people think that's a good thing to do Mm. we've been told that you know that's going to motivate you to be more productive but actually maybe it's not sometimes you may need it but in the book I uh, I refer to a particular study which was done on uh, a kindergarten where you had kids who loved drawing and they have what is called an internal dopamine drive so their dopamine came from their accomplishments of drawing so they went like oh look at this this is great this is great one more one more one more you know and they they just keep on they just love it Uh, and then in the study and the study was based on that they were starting to give the kids small gold stars for their paintings or their drawings. And then they went like, ooh, I got a gold star. Ooh, I got a gold star. Ooh, I got a gold star. This is then defined as external motivation. Mm. And then the study ended and this, the, they left and the kids, they stopped drawing because the internal dopamine process had been replaced with the external dopamine process and that had now been removed. Mm. Now they started drawing again two, three months later because it rebalanced, but the problem with always rewarding ourselves after a task is that that is 
we usually have to increase that reward as we go about it. So the advice in the book is to harness your internal dopamine system because that is so, so much more powerful, so much more powerful. So instead, find the angle to why that task is actually interesting. Mm. Find a, a different perspective on why that could be good for you. So that That's the way to create um, long-term lasting dopamine that won't leave you um, being good at finding different perspectives. Yeah, I found that fascinating, that study. Specific, as a parent as well, I was thinking about that because we know that, of Ooh. course, we incentivize, yeah. you know, we incentivize our children, like exactly as you said, the gold star. But we also do it to ourselves as adults, you know, yeah. and I think it doesn't, it never leaves you, especially if you're quite an achievement oriented person like myself. It never leaves you that kind of seeking the gold star. Mm -hmm. So I really liked that. Let's talk about the idea of fast and slow dopamine and yep. and I really again think this is such a great example because I've heard before dopamine being being referred to as in the modern world anyway these kind of short sharp short fixes quick fixes like junk food dopamine junk mm -hmm. food for the brain almost yeah things like you know uh, scrolling on social media or something that's really quick and you can just do it anytime anywhere mm -hmm. um, so I really liked this kind of we can all, we all know what that feels like yeah. I mean, everybody can think of an example in their own life where they have this quick fix of dopamine yeah. however I wasn't so familiar and I hadn't heard people talk so much about the long or the slow dopamine so can yeah. you explain for us the, the difference between the two sure absolutely and let's go back to the very basis that the brain is energy saving by nature mm. okay so if if uh, and this is a good one this is a good guess anyone that's listening to this could just give it a quick guess and that is if a person has the opportunity to go an, up an escalator or a physical stairs which one will they take well uh, the study showed 96 percent take the escalator before the stairs and we can see this wherever we go we don't need a study to see this the absolute majority like people have, can be flying for three hours to get out of the airplane and they go like oh mm, they stretch their body and then they get the option escalator or physical stairs they go like mm, escalator so your brain is literally in the mode of going i'm gonna die soon if I don't eat, and if I don't eat, I have to um, I have to save energy. Okay, so we have to start there, which means that your body, your brain, does not care where it gets its dopamine from. It doesn't care at all. As long as it gets its dopamine, it means that it's growing, that it's developing, because that's what it was thirty thousand years ago. It means that it collected something. It means that it harvested something. It means that they did something, a progress. But today, it's so much easier to get dopamine because you can literally just open up your phone. You can go through TikTok and Instagram. You can go through social media. You can check the stock uh, exchange. You can check the news. All of that is going boom, 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 dopamine. And your brain is going, ah, we are getting so much dopamine and we are reserving so much energy. This mm -hmm. is brilliant. Let's do this more. And that is the fast dopamine trap. Um, because your brain is very uninterested in the opposite now. So if your partner comes along to you, you're in the sofa, you are just enjoying yourself, you're watching your mobile phone, and your partner goes, shall we, shall we clean the garage? Uh, you, the, the chances are you going, nah, nah. But if you didn't have that option, then it would have been much more natural for you to go, yeah, that would be good. It would be nice to have a, a clean Something garage. Something to do, yeah. yeah. Mm. 
Yeah, yeah sorry so. to interrupt. That's yeah. I think we when you were saying then scrolling on your phone or doing this. I'll be honest. I was thinking about in December when I was Christmas shopping online, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that was my fast dopamine fix because I would honestly I would look forward to it. I'd think okay, um, you know, once I've cooked the dinner, once the kids have gone to bed, I was like, oh, I'm going to sit here, I'm going to pull up my laptop, mm. I'm going to scroll because I need to buy this for this person and this for this person and add it to basket, and it becomes almost. I feel like after a while you're looking. I was looking for excuses like who else do I need to buy a gift for? Who else do I need to buy? Because it's <laughs> feel I love it I love online you know and I was kind of like in January I was like oh I'm not online shopping anymore and it's funny isn't it how oh things God. can become like a habit yeah, and yeah. quite quickly I was really looking forward and it sounds silly but I was really looking forward to that kind of half an hour to an hour in the evening where I'd scroll through different websites just putting stuff in my basket and buying stuff essentially yeah, yeah. and I think a lot of people do that right a lot of people buy stuff that we probably don't need mm. because it's an enjoyable experience the dopamine hit of click 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 oh, yeah. and then oh mm. now it's going to be delivered to my house mm. that was that was my junk food dopamine in December anyway yeah guilty well, well hap- happiness through dopamine mm. is the easiest way to find happiness but it's also the most short-lived way yeah so it's not sustainable. It's not sustainable happiness. And when people say that dopamine is happiness, I wouldn't agree. It may be temporarily uh, temporary enjoyment. Yeah. But because it's so much easier, we don't focus on like the real ways of being happy, which is the long-term dopamine, which is more serotonin, more oxytocin, maybe short bursts of adrenaline and cortisol. Um, that's where you can find like, pre- real and proper and, and long or long-term happiness but a lot of people tend to find theirs in dopamine yeah and their entire life becomes a roller coaster yeah because they go high low high low high low and then we have to and because the brain becomes desensitized, we have to have higher and longer and bigger hits as well it's like any drug yeah well that was where i was what i was thinking then is that some people probably can relate to that but then also think well, what about when you only experience low? So is it possible, for example, that because we are in an overstimulated, hyper-stimulated modern world mm. all the time, you know, there's just information, there's noise, there's colour, there's light, there's so much all the time, yeah. that actually sometimes people kind of, they're kind of quite numb to that feeling maybe. They quite they can feel quite numb to that dopamine feeling, which is actually, I'm watching this show, I'm bored, I'm thinking about something else. I'm looking at my phone, I'm bored, I'm thinking about something else. Like they they... A lot of people say that attention and stimulation, like they're lacking that feeling of actually this isn't this isn't holding my attention, this isn't stimulating me, this is boring. Yeah. And so yeah, is it possible that we're depleting our dopamine levels because or we're just not we're not receptive to it anymore because we've just been bombarded and over you know what I mean, our systems are just kind of like overstimulated in that way? Yeah, yeah. I'd say that that's definitely one of the reasons. And it's it's weird, you know, this idea with dopamine detox. Now, detox means that something is poisonous and dopamine isn't poisonous. Mm-hmm. So it's just, uh, I don't know what you could call that, uh, dopamine fasting, mm-hmm. maybe a better word for it. But what's interesting with that is that the people I coach on this, which um, literally hundreds and at the end of the day, thousands of people who've done this, they so many came back to me and they said, and this is after one week, like one week not using their mobile phone at all, nor computer. They go, this is weird. I feel like was, I was spellbound. I was in a zombie state, David. And I look at my phone now, seven, ten days later, and I look at it, and I cannot imagine how I spend four hours a day on it. I can't. Because you, yeah, you, literally you are you're drugged you know, mm. by it. Mm. And that quick, that's good, I suppose, in a way, to think that actually it only 
takes maybe seven days or maybe shorter you know sometimes people do a, a weekend they'll call it yeah digital detox and they say oh, on a Friday night you know they turn off their phone or they put their phone in another room or in a drawer and they say I'm not going to get my phone out till mm. Monday and so even in that short time your habits I think the first maybe like hour or two the natural instinct to like check your phone or like you know where is it or you know use it we use it for so much don't yeah. we so like oh can't even check the time or do there's all these things yeah. but I think probably by day two um, and I haven't done this myself so probably should try it soon but yeah by day two by day three people are like yeah I don't even think about it I yeah. don't even have that impulse or that that to, to go and look for my phone at all mm. um, but so we're talking about the, the short and the quick and the kind of like junk food for the brain junk food dopamine what are some examples of the slow longer like more fulfilling like how can we achieve that because we all live in this modern world so it's all very well thinking oh go and you know mm. live in a cave but we all still live in this world so yeah, yeah how can we what are some examples of the, 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 the long slow dopamine well, the way I define slow dopamine is something that you get a reward for at the moment, but also in the future. Okay. okay, so learning to play guitar, every time you hit that string, every time you hit that note, you get a short burst of, do- burst of dopamine. And then that keeps you going, and you get better and better and better and better and better. And that then just builds up that dopamine sensation, which means that you can play more and new songs, and you can entertain other people. Maybe you can even earn money on it if you want to. Yeah, you can create your own songs, which... So it, it's got this prolonged effect from... But looking at a TikTok could be... That is simply pouring dopamine into a black endless well. There are exceptions, of course, because some, some of these videos can actually motivate us. I'm not mm. saying that. You know, I'm not saying they're inherently bad. Some of it is actually good. Uh, so, yeah, anything that you learn and you, you get a reward for in the moment, uh, which you have a use for in the future so that could be learning to cook food a learning language learning a guitar spending time with people exercising taking a walk getting better sleep um, hobbies mm. scarily enough i've been a keynote speaker for about 20 years now and about six six years ago i've asked this question during two decades and, and there was a scary answer that started coming around for about six years ago and that was i asked everyone in the audience do you have a hobby? And people raised their hand if they had a hobby. And uh, six years ago, they started answering, I used to have a hobby. Because again, a hobby requires more. You get less dopamine for more energy. And that is not the natural equation of the brain. You want more dopamine for less energy. Mm, yeah, that's interesting. And often people, I'm sure, would say the reason is that they're time poor. Because people say, oh, I, I used to have a hobby, or I used to enjoy that, or I used to go there. I hear that as well. Mm. But I don't have time anymore, Adrian. Oh, you know, now I'm busy. I've got, I've got work. I've got kids. But I think we fill all of those spaces now, don't we? The half an hour here, the 10 minutes there. Mm. We now fill those spaces with other things and then we feel like we're time poor and actually you just gave a really great example there with the guitar if someone said oh actually i don't have a whole hour to spend but if they had 10 minutes Mm. they could still just do 10 minutes right and then okay 10 minutes here 10 minutes there it's the same with things like breath work and meditation Mm. i talk about this a lot and people say oh yeah but i have time to meditate for an hour Mm. trust me i don't have time to meditate for an hour all the time you know like (laughs) i've got kids i've got work i've got commitments but i always have time for like five minutes or sometimes that makes it seven minutes sometimes before you know it it's 15 minutes Mm. so i think yeah stealing the stealing that or i call it reclaiming reclaiming and stealing that time back whenever you can um you know kind of aligns with that and lastly then on dopamine my last thing here is about so you mentioned that example of okay learning a new skill or having a hobby how important is it that we do these things 
individually so single tasking so you just do that one thing so for example if you're learning to play the guitar and you're sitting maybe somewhere doing that you're not at the same time yeah having your phone there to to check that or having a conversation with somebody or maybe you've got tv on in the background like how important is it for us to single task and do things in isolation in order to really get the reward and benefit from this dopamine oh it is so important and the same thing if you're sitting by your computer and you're going to write something you're going to start off a book or something and you can't get going and you have your mobile phone just by you that will steal your attention because your brain is going i can get more energy from more dopamine for less energy if i look at that so let's do that so it'll constantly divert you but then in the book i also mentioned something called dopamine stacking Mm which uh, the best example of that is a person lying in the sofa, they're watching Netflix, they're going like, mmm, this is good, dopamine is flowing, bam, 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 bam. But um, they need more, so they start snacking. Then they stack snacks to that, so they get more dopamine, the brain is going, ah, I like it. Even better. But now I want more, so you start drinking a soda, but then you, the brain goes, I want more, and then you start looking at your mobile phone while looking at Netflix, while snacking, while drinking a soda, and then suddenly the TV is on, is on in the background, or music is on in the background, and you're like, stack, 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 stack. And the problem then is that you actually... you you. You lose the enjoyment from the very source itself. Yeah. You need so many other things to create that sensation in you. And um, the, the danger with that is that you just lose the connection with life. It's like raking leaves. That can actually be enjoyable, believe it or not. You know, the, the autumn sun hitting you, the fresh air, the birds. But... That won't work if you're used to stacking, because then when you rake the leaf, you probably have to listen to a music or you have to listen to a podcast. And uh, you also have to create this goal. When I get in, I'm going to drink this hot chocolate or whatever. You keep on stacking things in your brain. So you lose you lose the connection with the world. Same thing with kids. If you're playing with your kid, yeah. you just playing with your kid creates dopamine. It always has uh, but if you're if you're stuck on dopamine stacking, it means that while playing with a kid, you have to have your mobile phone nearby. You keep checking it. You keep thinking. Thoughts create dopamine. So you keep thinking, what is, what's going to happen next? What am I going to do next week? When am I going to do the shopping? Da, 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 da. You're not there. You're not aware. Mm. So in your mind, you can stack things as well instead of just being there. So when you're stuck in stacking, it means that you lose connection with the world more or less david honestly what you are describing i think is so many people's lives most of the time yeah. you know and myself included you know there's definitely times what you've just described because i am someone as well who i think i'm you know my natural state you know maybe i'm i'm fast and i'm thinking and i'm doing and so what you just described we all i think can relate to that feeling of going okay i'm watching this or i'm doing this now but at the same time maybe i'm listening to a podcast maybe i'm thinking about something else maybe i'm going to write notes at the same time in fact someone said that to me recently in a meeting she said you always have a pen and paper in your hand always and I was like yeah because I'm going to write notes I'm going to if I think of something a question I want to ask I don't want to forget it I'm going to write it down and she was like okay cool but it was kind of like what you just said then around real life I do think we miss out and of course you know being present being there it's so much easier said than done but we do miss out don't we on on just on just real life on Mm -hmm. just looking at each other with the coffee, having the conversation, thinking the thought and responding and not mm. having to do another action, i.e. Mm. me, writing it down. Yeah. So I think this has been personally a game changer for me. And even since listening to that that specific part in the book, where I've noticed it the most is 
audio because mm. I'm an audio person. I mm. love audio sensory. It's my favorite thing. So I've always got headphones on yeah. and I'm usually listening to a podcast or an audio book or music. And I've always thought that was a good thing because I think, wow, I listen to so many books. I'm always learning. If I'm walking, if I'm running, if I'm driving, if I'm chopping vegetables, I am listening and learning. But to your point then around real life, when I was walking yesterday, so I was walking through London and I was like, okay, I'm going to go in there and get some lunch and have a coffee. And I was listening to something. And as a result, I paused it and I sat down and I ate my food and I drank my latte and I just did that. In, I, was, mm. I suppose it wasn't silence because I was still, you know, sitting in a Whole Foods in uh, in um, in busy, you know, Pic- Piccadilly Circus. But normally I would have just listened to my podcast, you know, not my own podcast, by the way, <laughs> to a podcast. And I would have just done that. And I yeah. think already that's one maybe small change. But I was yeah. thinking your your voice was in my mind about this Oof, stacking. Okay. Yeah, yeah, this stacking, you know, you're stacking, you're stacking, you're stacking. And that it's actually... As someone who thinks so much about overwhelm and you know trying to de- downregulate the body, mm. surely that is not downregulating. Just having yeah. this constant like six, seven things stacked up. So it's a small change that I've made already just since uh, listening well to the done. book. Well Thank done. You. And to just respond to that very quickly because there's so many definitions of what happiness is, and I think there's many ver- versions of it. But one of them is experiencing your senses. Mm. Okay. So just imagine this: I-, I robbed you of your senses. I robbed you of your sight and your hearing and your touch and your smell and your taste your life, you wouldn't be able to experience happiness in the same way. And just having COVID, when people lost their sense of smell and taste, they felt they they got disconnected from the world. That is the same disconnection that you create when you're constantly stacking. So one version of happiness is experiencing your senses. That means that consciously uh, you taste, consciously you smell, consciously you listen to the birds, consciously you walk, consciously you take off your shoes in the park and you walk without your socks. You know, at the very essence, your senses create these 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 chemical cocktails in your brain of endocannabinoids and and uh, serotonin and so many other things so yeah that it's it's a beautiful i i realized as well it was such a big thing for me when i learned this yeah it's very powerful so the next one on my list mm. oxytocin oh yeah so tell us i think people might think they know oxytocin I'll, I'll be honest when i when i see the word oxytocin it makes me think of physical touch human connection mm. um sex intimacy i feel like that's where i associate that word of oxytocin release so oxytocin what is it i'm sure it's more than that Uh, well you can find it all well the purpose of all of those things that you mentioned was for you to connect with another human being so one of the psychological reasons that oxytocin exists is for us to connect with other people uh, and connect with our group there's a dark side to oxytocin as well where it can actually make us well we can choose to connect our group by pushing another group away mm. so there's a theory that racism could oxytocin could be one of the mechanisms behind racism mm. segregation uh, and yeah, yeah yeah so that's one part of well the primary part then in this case is to connect yeah mm. but there are other ways to create oxytocin as well and that is um well as soon as you share something personal like um i did a I launched a book yesterday and I had a talk and I just mentioned that within tears from stage that I was proud to be here because I'm half English. My father's from Birmingham and uh, he always told me that I would um, write a book which would become like a global thing. And he always believed in me. He always cheered on me. He was my, my biggest cheerleader and he died five years ago. And when I was on my plane over to London yesterday, I cried because I wish he was here. I wish he was here. I wish he would see this. And 
when I choose to share that um, and those who can relate it, they will f- there, there will be an oxytocin connection over voice, mm-hmm. over radio, over whatever. So being allowing yourself to be vulnerable, allowing yourself to be personal, um, allows for oxytocin release as well. Mm. So it doesn't have to be physical touch. Well, I had a question about oxytocin specifically because we've talked about human connection and, and how important we know human connection is for our physiology, for our physical health, our mental health, uh, even our immune systems we know is, is weakened when we don't have good you know human connection and relationships. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned COVID. If we think back just you know, very short time ago, we were socially, socially isolating. And even still now in some places, because it's just, you know, they're still there, they haven't taken them down. You can see signs, maybe stickers, maybe on transportation in London, there's certain um, stations where they'll say uh, social distance, keep mm. social distance, keep social distance. And it made me think when I saw that, I thought, oh, yeah, wasn't that long ago that we were told don't get close to another person. Stay back. Mm. And even if you went into, you know, a place where you were just buying your shopping, buying Mm -hmm. your groceries, going for your coffee, there was a divide between you and the person who was serving you and this big, you know, divide. And I feel like in that experience, what I suppose is happening there from a from a you know neurochemical perspective when we're actually being told to go against our natural instinct to connect with a physical divide, you know, metaphorically and physically being told keep distance from other humans like how did that impact us yeah this is just my view but i think the world has become harsher after covid Mm. i don't know if you can agree but it seems like it i get that sensation at least Mm. and i don't think you know i don't think we've ever had such an experiment in the world before where we ask human beings all over the world to not connect and i think it could have been hurtful it seems like it was hurtful. Yeah, but that's just my own view. I haven't seen any studies on that. Mm. But as soon, well, let's just take a couple then. Let's take a couple who are deeply in love. They live in London, and then uh, one of them they have to move to New York. Okay, and they go, "Oh, I'm gonna miss you. I'm gonna miss you. This is gonna be, but we can make it. We can make it. We can have a long-term relationship. It's gonna work. It's gonna work." Most of the time, it won't work because it's the lack of closeness and connection that just removes oxytocin. And these now go from being in love to being strangers. And the same thing would have happened around the world among people around us. And I get that question a lot on TikTok because a lot of people have long distance relationship and they ask me, how can I keep this alive? And I I just, um, there's a brilliant way. And that is to just write down questions of personal nature and see to that you don't talk just about the everyday stuff when you talk, but you every single conversation, like uh, at least twice a week, you have one of those questions where you deep dive into the other person's life or something like that. And, uh, and the result is that that, that maintains long-term relationships in a, in a much, much steadier way. Wow, I think that's really useful for people, even if they're not in a long-term, like long-distance romantic relationship. Many of us now, we are in long-distance relationships with most people in our lives. So if you think about maybe our friends, maybe our parents, maybe our siblings, Mm. maybe we don't get to see them as often as we'd like to. And I was just thinking then, actually, what a great thing to consider, even when you're calling your friend or your sibling or your parents, if you're not seeing them face to face, then yeah, I guess just asking about, okay, you know, how was your day or the weather or what you had for your dinner, actually remembering that, yeah, to connect with people is to go 
deeper than that and yeah. intentionally do that, I mm-hmm. think it would be useful for, for anyone to try that. Absolutely. No, yeah. no doubt about it, yeah. And probably also for people in relationships who are in the same house, let's mm. be honest, because of this busy modern life. People can be in the same house, sitting on the same couch and yeah. not have those conversations either. Mm. You know? Yeah, and that's slowly and steadily you'll drift apart. Mm. Yeah, if yeah. you if you miss that and and you only rely on physical touch because that won't work all the time. Yeah, so it's it's a it's what makes us human. Wow, human connection, so important and real life. And you mentioned then about the dark side of oxytocin and I suppose mm. I guess with all of these different um, neurochemicals there's there's a good side and a downside to everything in life. And it made me think about um you know how we bond with others and how we can for example if you think about teams either a team in corporate environment or a sports team and how like you said before this segregation idea this us and them this like we're in a team and therefore that bonds us mm. but that rejection of others also does that and it made me think about gossip yeah. so I wanted to ask you about this because of course everybody would say oh gossiping's bad gossiping's bad but people do it right people yeah. enjoy it people get I think an oxytocin rush or some mm-hmm. kind of release of saying oh this person did that. Mm. Oh, did you know? Oh, talking to... And I think, is that kind of... that? It just made me think of it. Is that the same thing that's happening? You're getting this, like, I guess, dark side or, like, negative release of oxytocin through having a conversation or gossip, should we say, about somebody else? I'd say it's it's very likely. It's very likely. And I'd say that it's quite interesting to do an analysis of yourself as well. So whenever you find that you're drifting apart from your partner or a friend, you tend to gossip more. Because you want to connect. And so you can bring these things up that you've seen on the news or something like that, that is really juicy. And, you know, that will instantaneously connect you with the other person. So you can do that kind of self-analysis on it. Oh, that is, yeah. Honestly, I find this fascinating. And also the idea around... um incentivizing teams versus competition so i have a friend and she is one of how many she's one of six so her parents had six children Mm -hmm. and and she told me how her mum used to basically have this mentality with them around like reward and punishment and so if one person did something well yeah everybody got the reward so for example let's say one of the children came home from school and they got a good school report wow all the children would get reward okay because it wasn't singling out that one child it was like oh you all get this reward however the inverse is also true so if one child does something bad all right let's say they i don't know they broke something and yeah. they shouldn't have touched they broke it everybody gets the shared punishment all right and i was like this is so strange why would a parent <laughs> you know why would a parent do that but what i realized and what she explained was that she said you don't compete with your siblings you don't blame there's no oh he did it or she did it uh, or yeah. i you are okay. a team so actually this idea and i know that sounds like where's this coming from but it is fascinating isn't it like, made uh, me think again of this oxytocin or this like bond team us and them yeah. is that if you're a team if you are told that if your sister does well you're yeah. going to get reward yeah. if your sister does something bad you're going to get punishment too I don't know how it fits and I'm sure a lot of people will be huh. thinking about this now thinking wow. is that thing but I can imagine why it would change the release and you're, you're bonding with them because you're thinking we all we either all win or yeah. we all sink yeah, you know yeah. like we, yeah. we sink or swim we go down together or we mm. win together so you're no longer going to throw your sister under the bus no. you know <laughs> yeah Wow, that's a fascinating one. Do you have kids? I do, three of them. Yeah, I have not applied that that (laughs) method. That that is fascinating. Would you consider it? Uh, It doesn't sound. It doesn't sound bad, actually. Yeah. I have to think that through. Okay. And I love, you know, everything I do is <laughs> literally based on studies. My kids hate me because every <laughs> single time they ask me a question, I go, well, there was a study in 2022. <laughs> Never mind. You have to stop answering. 
with studies. Here's the research. Stop it! Yeah. Well, maybe you can do an experiment. They're going to become the research. Yeah. But yeah, I think this could. I think it could be something in this because I definitely grew up not with that environment where my siblings we would throw each other under the bus. Wow. You know, she did it. He did it. I whatever. Can, I can see that happening. You know. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, let's just give it a try. <laughs> okay, so we're going to move on to the next one. Oh, this one. Just one more thing on oxytocin, if I can share oh, that. Please do. Yeah. yeah. Oh, this one is just so uh, it's mega powerful. Okay, just very quickly. If you are high on dopamine, you're coming from work and you're going, ooh, I'm looking forward to tomorrow, I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking about that meeting, boom, 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 you're always somewhere else in your mind and you come home to your kids and your partner, you won't see their eye contact, you won't feel their hug and you won't really hear the answer to your question, how was your day? But if you just take one minute in your car or on the subway just prior to going in, like we're literally talking about five minutes before going in, you take one minute and you induce oxytocin in yourself by looking at a video uh, which creates, you know, it tears you up a bit. Mm -hmm. uh, or in my case, I look at my daughter when she was young and it, it tears me up. And now you go into your family. With that single minute, you will now see their eye contact. You will feel their hug. You will give a different hug. Mm -hmm. And you will attentively listen to the question, how was your day? Or the answer to it. That is self-leadership. That is leading yourself. Because if you go home on dopamine, you'll have a bad evening. You know, you won't connect. But if you just do that one minute and you start off your evening like that, uh, you'll get the flow of being more present. Wow. That's mm. good. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Just wanted to add that Thank as well. you. No, mm. that's a great tool. So my next one that I chose out of the six to talk to you about today is cortisol. Oh, yeah. And the reason I chose this is because Again, this is my own assumption when I see the word, because I, I, I think we all have probably heard a lot of these words before. Endorphins, we might think of running, or you know, dopamine, we think of reward. And when I saw the word cortisol, my, maybe the misconception is that cortisol is bad. Cortisol is negative. It's associated with stress, with panic disorder, with you know, if there's cortisol running through your body, you might feel your heart racing, you might feel uh, anxiety, and so. I often think that we see the word cortisol as something that we want to avoid and that if we want to be in a happy state or a calm state, we don't want cortisol pumping through the body. Mm. However, after listening to the book, I now know that is not the only, uh, like everything in the body, that's good <laughs> and bad. Yeah. So could you please tell us what cortisol really is, what it's responsible for, the good and the bad? Uh, well, um, let's jump into the singing study, right? So you had um, two groups of amateurs who were supposed to sing a song, and then uh, the one... Well, obviously both were nervous because they weren't singers. So both both were nervous. Their cortisol levels were higher, their adrenaline levels were higher, the heart, their heart was beating, boom, 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 boom. And then they said to the one group, the sensation you're feeling at the moment is excitement. Defi redefine it as excitement. Just say to yourself, I'm excited, I'm excited, I'm excited, I'm excited, I'm excited. And then they went in to sing. And the group who said that to themselves, they, uh, they corresponded to that they felt more excited. They sang better, qualitatively based. And after they've sung, they felt better and they were more happy. Mm. So cortisol is interestingly something that is launched in large amounts during being in love for instance it's the part of being excited in life it's about you can almost buy it, boil it down to variation to have variation in life so you want to you can't look at the same movie over and over and over and over again you want variation you want something new to happen you want excitement in your life and if we push that one level longer to adrenaline and they usually launched together in in large amounts when adrenaline is is released and that is that's something called adrenaline junkies mm. 
Mm, yeah, people they enjoy are, it. They enjoy the stress. They enjoy the sensation of absolute excitement in their life. So one is redefining it. So whenever you're going to go up on stage, I'm, I'm a public speaking coach and, and communication coach. Whenever you're going to go up on stage, tell yourself, I'm excited, I'm excited, I'm excited, I'm excited. If you're going to go to a date and you're nervous, go, I'm excited, I'm excited, I'm excited. If you're going to sing and so on, just redefine yourself. It's been studied in England and in the US. It works, right? And then um, learn to enjoy the emotion because, do you know what is weird? When we are born, we're filled with all these neurochemicals and it's up to our parents and the society more or less to help us understand which emotion, which state correlates to which emotion. Mm. Therefore, a lot of people I meet, they've actually misunderstood cortisol and adrenaline to being something that they don't like whilst a lot of people at the same time enjoy the sensation. But is it something that we've learned or is it also part of our nature? Because I think about just my son and my stepdaughter. When we go to Legoland, my stepdaughter, she loves the fast rides. She yeah. likes the white knuckle, you know, like hold on. Like she made me go on a ride with her on her birthday and we still talk, laugh about it because I was <laughs> literally, I was dreading it. I was like, I can't believe I'm doing this. I'm doing this for you. And we stood in the queue and her face, she was just beaming, as you said, excited, excited. Yeah. She's like, it's going to be so fast. Oh my gosh, it's literally just the fastest thing it makes you feel sick it spins you around and I was like I can't think of it any worse but also my son (laughs) who's older than her was like I am not doing that he does not there's nothing that you could do to encourage him to go on an upside down spinny roller coaster because he does not enjoy that feeling and neither do Mm. I Mm. of as you said this kind of excitement you know adrenaline junkie like even once I actually kind of forced him to like go on this toboggan thing and he cried at the top he was like I don't (laughs) want to do it and obviously he's got his he's got his little steps sister being like come on it's fun and he's like this is not fun so yeah have we learned that or have i taught him that or is it actually that we part of our bodies and our i guess our the way we experience physical sensation and the the way we experience things is is different and some people enjoy that feeling and some people really don't yeah Uh, well there is a comp gene which is related to it's called the warrior gene and it i think is about 10 percent of the population which they can control adrenaline and cortisol in a better way. Mm-hmm. They they usually work as in in the police or the, the military or firemen and so on. But I'll, I'll just give you a quick story on my kid, my my uh, my youngest. She was five at the time, and she'd gone on a swing, at most. And we went to this fun park, and she saw this roller coaster, and it was. I think it was like seven or eight year olds or something like that. And she looked at it and she went like, I want to go, I want to go, I want to go. And I'm like, you're too young. You have to wait a couple of years. And then she tilts her head to the left. And then she looks at me with her big eyes and she goes, please. And I go, okay, more or less. So we got on this thing and it goes to uh, two, uh, two laps or two rounds or whatever. And we go this first round and it comes back to the station, slows down a little bit. She looks, I look at her, her face has every single emotional expression on this planet. Like, it is the facial expression of excitement, of absolute pure fear, <laughs> of uh, of confusion. There's 10 facial expressions in her face. Yeah. And I look at her and I say, roller coasters are fun, Leona. Let's go one more time, because there's a second lap, right? And just laugh. Let, let's laugh hysterically, especially in the corners, in the ups and downs. And we laughed and we laughed and we laughed and we laughed. And we came around that second time. And then she went... Again, again. And in that defining moment, I helped her understand Uh, the feeling. I'm not saying this, uh, you are are right, there's a genetical uh, component to this, but to a great extent. Like if if you, if you, 
fearful of spiders and you see a spider and you scream, your kids will more likely be afraid of spiders. Oh, yeah. We, we, keep, we simply teach our kids what to feel, when to feel. Some people feel shame when they get compliments. Mm. Uh, because they've been taught to feel shame. Because yeah. maybe their parents felt shame and showed shame when they got compliments. Yeah. While some people, they stand, stand up straight. So all our emotions aren't similar. And our parents usually taught us what to feel, when to feel. And that's where self-leadership comes in. That is when you, once in your life, put down your foot and you say, I want to decide when I feel what I feel. Because yes. it's my life. Yes. Oh, gosh. And it's such as a parent, like I said, you can't win because I actually have encouraged Jude many times and said, come on, let's go on this ride. It's going to be really fun. It's going to be really fun. And because sometimes I know that he will enjoy it. And that's, that has also been the case where he's gone on and gone, I'm not sure, I'm not sure. The Harry Potter ride in Japan at Universal Ooh. Studios, which was amazing. Oh, the, my but God. But he didn't want to go on it because he, was, he, he had this idea in his mind, I don't like roller coasters. I won't enjoy this. Yeah. And I said, listen, you might enjoy it. Let's just do it together. And he did. And he did like it. Yeah. But like I said, we're all different. And I, I, and I definitely... Um, I'm the last person. I'm always the one that says, I'll hold the coats. Go on, kids, have fun. I'll stand and watch you um, as you scream and, and turn upside down and puke. Um, but I then this the spider thing. Oh, my gosh, absolutely true. And also, I'm, I'm now trying to think of which other examples are probably around, like, which emotions we should feel. You know, shame being a very interesting one. Um, confidence being another one. You know, like, which emotions are, yeah, good emotions, which are bad emotions. Fear, tears, mm. sadness, crying. Oh, yeah. That's something, it's isn't it? One. You know, some yeah. people are taught that you know, holding mm. in tears or being brave or, you know, that's courage oh, yeah. versus mm. actually tears and crying being a normal emotion and mm. something that also arguably takes courage. Absolutely fantastic as well. And love. You know, if you've been in a relationship where your mother and father have shown love in a particular way, you'll probably love in that way as well. There's a chance there is. Yeah. Yeah. So, but the beautiful thing is that everyone can relearn their emotional state and how they respond to stimuli like that. Well, that perfectly leads me on to my, my penultimate question then about neurochemicals and the fact that they are impacted by so many things, our lifestyles, you know, our diets, our exercise, our sleep, our current state now, but also before. So if we think about our lives and the experiences that we've had, maybe we've had traumatic experiences in the past, maybe we've had a whole host of experiences have led us to being who we are and experiencing the world the way we do. So... Is it possible, as you just said, that the way, I suppose, this like chemical uh, cocktail that we have, our biological and mental state, the way it is now in the present, I suppose if it's been shaped by different things, it's kind of like, you know, we have those grooves in our brain. If you think about neuroplasticity, we have these grooves, these habits, these behaviours that we fall into easily day after day, day after day. Negativity might be one. Fear might be another. Excitement might be one. How is it possible for us to change that groove, to create a new groove, a new habit, a new way? Because these chemicals are real, right? They're, mm -hmm. not, they're not just thoughts that we have. These states, these chemicals in the brain, they're real. How can we start to, if we think, oh, actually, this isn't making me, you know, I'm not getting the most out of these things. How can we make a new groove and new habits? Mm. Yeah. Well, I've gone through this one. Um, Seven years ago, eight years ago, I realized I was depressed and I'd been depressed for 17 years. So I created a bunch of those bad grooves, bad mm -hmm. paths. Whoa. My brain was constantly focusing on what was bad, uh, focusing on what was bad with me, what bad with other people. Uh, you know, the paths I had in my brain was so self-destructive. It was mad. 
So, um, yeah, there's a beautiful analogy which I have in the book, which goes like this. Imagine a wheat field in front of you, and it's, uh, it's a late summer evening. It's weighing beauty, swaying beautifully in the wind. And you pass, you go through the wheat field once, and you look back. You can't really see that you've gone through it. But you go through that particular path in the wheat field a hundred times. Now you have created a path. And uh, obviously, you'll just carry on going on that path. You won't go anywhere else because that's stupid. Because why would you? Because you're going from one end to the other in the wheat field. So you keep on going on this particular path and you've created a proper path and maybe even a road when you've gone 10,000 times. This is what all habits and all paths of thinking look like in the brain. And one day we think, I don't want to anymore. I want to feel proud when I am when I'm given a compliment, for instance. I am moving... 20 meters to the right and i'm going to tread my new path in this wheat field and you go and you go five times ten times but your brain is is going do you remember that our basic uh, basic state is to save energy why are you doing this this is stupid we are wasting energy over here we want to go back to the old path mm. and then you go i refuse and then you keep on going on that new path just over and over. You keep having this analogy in your head and you go, 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 go. And the beautiful thing with neuroplasticity now is that you go there a thousand times and that will now become a path and the other path will regrow. Oh. And then 5,000 times later, the first one has re practically regrown entirely and, and uh, you've got a new path to go and your brain is going, all right, this is our default path now because this is the easiest one. Yeah. Uh, that's David. habits. David, this is why you're so good. This is why you're so good. Because I've, you know, I've talked about neuroplasticity before. I've read about it. I've written about it. But that was the best description, honestly. Of, <laughs> it really was. Because, Thank you. you know, and it made me think sometimes we fall back to that old one. You know, in that journey before we've done the, the new path 5,000 times. Maybe you've done it twice. And mm -hmm. like you said, it's hard. It's not you wake up and maybe your habit, your instinct is to just, oh, there's the path. I, you know, before your eyes are even open. Oh, that's what I do. And you go on that path again. And then I think that's where people sometimes go, I tried that, it didn't work. I tried this, it didn't work. I tried this, I tried this, I tried this. And they default back to that old path that they don't want to be on. But I really, really love and hope that people will yeah, I mean, I have goosebumps on my arms, so I hope people will feel that as well to go, actually, perseverance yeah. on that new path. It might take 5,000 times to choosing. You mm. know, that's the thing, isn't it, about habit is it's a decision first. Mm. You have to decide, okay, I'm going to choose that. You might have to make that decision 500, 5,000 times mm. before it becomes your new path, but it can and it will eventually. Absolutely. I think the dangerous thing is the advice that comes around this because there's things that flow around going like it takes 21 days to create a habit, there's 10,000 times to create a habit. It's all bullshit. There's no truth in that at all. Yep. Because neuroplasticity is based on how old you are and how um, neuroplastic your brain is at that point of time and also how, how deep your habit is. So it depends on those things. Therefore, it, no one in the world can say how long it'll take to, do a, to change a habit. What we can say, it'll be easier for each week that goes by. It'll be easier and easier. You will have setbacks, but just remember that analogy. Go back, carry on, endure, and you will rewrite your habit. What a fantastic place to conclude. But before we finish, David, I have to ask you, of course, about the Power Hour. So 
power hour, simplest form, it is the first hour of every day. Hmm. Now, what people choose to do with the first hour of their day, I find fascinating. I've had over 300 people on this show tell us what they do with the first hour. Some people, this is my routine. Other people, I avoid this in the morning. I do that in the morning. But for me, I always wanted to understand, okay, what motivates people to get out of bed in the morning when they first wake up, put their feet on the floor? What do they do and why? So I'm interested to hear what typically does the first hour of your day include? It's a beautiful question. All right, so in the book I talk about angels and devil's cocktails, Mm -hmm. and uh, I always ask myself, how do I mix my own angel's cocktails? And an angel's cocktail consists then of these various substances. So when I wake up in the morning, I choose to add oxytocin to that cocktail by being grateful for what happened yesterday. Uh, So I go through that for about like two minutes. I absolutely do not have my mobile phone by me because that will mess up my day. So plenty of studies have shown that if you launch fast dopamine into your brain, early, uh, you will be much likely to avoid slow dopamine during the day. Yeah, so no mobile phone. Two minutes gratefulness, and then I spend um, just a minute to consciously become excited about something during the day. All right, it could be just a small thing, but something I choose something to look forward to. So when I wake up this morning, I look forward to seeing you. And I was like, Ooh, this is going to be so fun. We're going to have this conversation. We're going to talk about this. Awesome questions, lovely energy, love the entire concept, what you do. And I just became so excited that I literally jumped out of bed. And then I'd say I always exercise every morning, more or less. Uh, and then uh, cold exposure about three times a week so Mm -hmm. that's not every day because i realize that i don't get the same effects if i do it every day so three times a week and then always um sun exposure to 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 get that morning light in your eyes i'd say those would be and then obviously breakfast in that and that'd be my routine more or less yeah sounds like a very good start to Mm -hmm. the day and i really liked when you said about getting excited for something because when i wrote the book power hour i gave people six questions to answer before six it was like Mm -hmm. a prompt and an exercise and i obviously you know this you write the book and you put it out and and you don't know which parts of the book people are going to resonate with most or people are going to tell you about and i still meet people now so three years since publication who say to me oh the six questions the my favorite question to answer is what am I most looking forward to today? Ooh, See? Dopamine. Yeah. So yeah, now I'm like, aha, it wasn't just an idea. There's a science to this because that's, that's one of the great. questions that I asked people to say in the morning. What am I most looking forward to today? And sometimes, let's be honest, every day is not Christmas Day or your no. birthday or the day you're going to the airport to fly on holiday. But if you pick something every day, maybe it is literally, okay, picking my kids up from school today, see their face after school, or maybe it's whatever thing you choose, not only do you notice actually there's something good in every day something small but also when that moment then happens you're so much more aware of it you can like almost it feels like you can savor it more yeah photograph it in your mind yes because then when it comes to it you go oh i was really looking forward to this i was really looking forward to this and now i'm actually doing it yeah so yeah. I love Ooh, that. I love that. Well done. Thank you. Well done. Thank Woo. you. Oh, this is such a great place to end. I'm so <laughs> grateful for you, David, coming come in here today, giving us your time, giving us your your wonderful expertise. And I really hope that people will, of course, check out the book. It is high on life. It is out. And you can also, if, if like me, you're an audio lover, then you can d- listen to it on audio as well. Thanks so much. And I'll be back next week with another episode. Thank you. This is incredible. Thanks for this talk. Wow. Bye. <laughs>
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.